0: I'm going to preach on letting the rain fall tonight. Um, this is one of those messages that you he said, you, "Do you?" God dealt with me about it, and I said, so, this, "Is this really needed?" But I was assured that it was needed. A- and I want you to just bear with me uh, here uh, this evening. We have got a revival church, and there's no doubt about that. But there's areas of revival individually that I think that none of us have really achieved yet. And I hope with this that we can go just a little further in truly, truly understanding what revival is. I don't know if any of you have ever really been involved um, in what is known. Now, I know that some of you, that uh, I know Rick told me he, was, he had seen sandstorms before, but to see really a, a dust storm. And from a distance... And I've never seen one, but from a distance, they say that, that it's, it's beautiful. They said it's, it's kind of, if you're looking at it from a distance, it's, it's a tawny color and it's, it looks like waves. And that this particular dust storm I'm talking about was blowing eastward. And it looked like waves of the sea, only in a tawny color uh, as it began to just go across the landscape. And it is said the effect is as graceful. As a grain field when you see waves or when you see the wind blow across the grain field. And it said, like currents on the breeze defying every border, always reaching toward a distant shore. Now this is a dust storm. It said, fingers of land invade the sea seeking to form peninsulas, almost as if a, a continent is growing into the, into the watery terrain. Now from a distance it is beautiful, but only from a distance. Is this thing beautiful? On the ground, a dust storm looks a whole lot different. In the 1930s, what the stock market collapse did to industry, the dust storm did to some rural areas. Before the storm, a combination of drought and poor farming methods had led to an erosion of all the topsoil. And when the high winds came, the loosened topsoil took flight. Much of the Great Plains and the Midwest were affected. Following this terrible dust storm on Black Sunday, April 14, 1935, a reporter named this area the Dust Bowl. Topsoil from this territory was carried and deposited 1,500 miles to the east coast of the United States. What was an inconvenience to the eastern United States was devastation to the farmers and the people who inhabited the Dust Bowl. Farmers were blanketed with dust. Crops perished in the field. This era is described in in John Steinbeck's classic work, The The Grapes of Wrath. Steinbeck describes people coming out of their houses and watching as their livelihood was rubbed out by a dry grid of a storm. Many were broken. Revenues plummeted. Farms were foreclosed. People were turned out to the elements or to shanty towns. Woody Guthrie, 1940, sang a song about this and it went like this. He said the storm took place at sundown. It lasted through the night. When we looked out next morning, we saw a terrible sight. We saw outside our window where wheat fields they had grown was now a rippling ocean of dust the wind had blown. It covered up our fences. It covered up our barns. It covered up our tractors in this wild and dusty storm. We loaded our jalopies and piled our families in. We rattled down the highway to never come back again. One of the most massive migrations known in the U.S. history took place at that time. Farms were abandoned and most folks headed south or west. The drought officially ended in 1941 just as a country was plunged into the Second World War. The cure for the dust bowl, however, came in the form of rain. Rain clouds put dust clouds back in their place. In the book of Hosea, chapter 6, 1 through 3... And it says this, Come and let us return unto the Lord, for He hath torn, and He will heal us. He hath smitten, and He will bind us up. After two days will He revive us. In the third day He will raise us up, and we shall live in His sight. Then shall we know that if we follow on to know the Lord, His going forth is prepared as the morning. He shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and the former rain unto the earth. Now, I've got a couple of questions. I don't know if I'm going to do uh, Bible study or preach. Probably a little combination of both. If you look around the world today, it would be easy to say there's just so much dust. There's just a lot of dust. Now, uh, you know, we came from dust. So if we look around, we can see a whole lot of dust. And it's a great place to start. In fact, miracles begin with dust. Okay? Okay. God's great outpourings begin when all hope is gone. When you are hopeless, that's when God comes in and does something. Now I don't know I don't know if you caught this or not, and I don't feel too badly about saying it, but I, I caught in the gist of conversation with, with uh with Kay, she felt pretty hopeless about this walking situation. She didn't really feel like she was going to walk again. But because the church began to pray and I kept getting text messages as her, as her faith began to raise. As her raise came up, I get a text message. She believed and it just kept coming in bits and pieces. How she began to get a little higher. You could see it. You could sense it in the text message. And as her faith began to get higher, then she began to walk. You understand that's how everything begins, regardless of the need that you have. As you begin to understand that when everything else is gone, there is no more hope. Nobody's going to help you. There's only one that can help you at this time, and His name is Jesus. And when you begin to see that all other hope is gone, then you begin to understand that you really do have hope. Because hope in what man can do will never achieve anything. But what God can do can achieve absolutely anything. The impossible finds its root in dry ground. Oh, come on now, follow me. And for such times, the greatest need of our day, and I want you to understand this, is a heaven-sent revival. I did not say revival. I said a heaven-sent revival. Everybody say heaven-sent with me. Heaven-sent. Come on. Heaven-sent. We need God to be in on this. <laughs> You know, it's just like this, when the pickings and the pickings in my spiritual bean patch grow slim, when I feel like a dried out raisin rather than a plump grape, hear me now, that's when we cry, Lord, I need some rain. I need some rain. That's when I cry out, fall like rain, Lord. Let the Holy Ghost come and give me some life. Revive me, O Lord. But I want you to, I want to come back to this. I'm asking two vital questions here tonight. First, what is the revival that we seek? What is revival? Well, we've described it. We've seen people. I've heard 10,000 preaching messages about revival. Give or take embellishment. And my wife told me about that the other day. I told her I cried millions and millions of tears over all this embellishment that I did. Okay, now here we go. (laughs) What is a revival? We seek a revival in the Word. The psalmist said, I am afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to Your Word. In Psalm 119. We seek a revival in God's ways. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things. Come on, that's what the psalmist said from worthless things. (laughs) And revive me in your way in Psalm 119.37. Worthless things distract us from being revived in God's ways. We need to learn to turn our eyes to God because real revival is only going to come when we turn our eyes to the one that can truly revive us. We seek a revival in calling upon His name. I've said it a million times. Are we going to bellishment again? I'm going to say another million. Okay? And that is, I'm working on myself. It's not just Lord bless you, it's Jesus bless you. What is the name of the Lord? Why is it that we say God bless you? Why do we say Lord bless you? Why can't we say Jesus bless you? Why can't we use it? Are we ashamed of the name? We need a revival of the name of Jesus. J. Edwin Orr studied (laughs) studied revival for 60 years. And he distilled the results of his study in a single sentence. After studying revival for 60 years, he made it in a single sentence. Whenever God is ready to do something new with His people, He always sets them to praying. Whenever God is ready to do something new with His people, He always sets them to praying. If God's people seek such a revival, if we turn to His Word, modify our ways, and call on His name, a heaven sought and a heaven bought revival will come to us. Are you there? Only when we turn to His way, modify our ways and turn to His ways, can we truly see if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and I I will forgive their sins and I will heal their lands. If we're going to have that kind of revival, we're going to have to get down and do it. we got to mean it. It's not just a matter of having a good time in Jesus. It's a matter of getting down on our faces and weeping until there's a change. You know, what's bad about all this is that uh, we're kind of like, and, and this is a curious thing, I, and I, I, I've thought about this, it's a very curious thing, and that is that we are kind of like, God's people is kind of like Samson. We do not realize when God's power is no longer with us. Well, it's when we start relying on curious little stupid things to keep people happy. And when we really realize then that there's something wrong and God's power is not with us anymore, that's when we really begin to get down to business. And I'm going to come to this in a minute, but let me just leave this with you. He really didn't come down to business. Samson didn't until he got his eyes knocked out. Couldn't see all around him. We keep looking around us. We keep trying to compare ourselves among ourselves. We keep trying to say we can't have revival unless we do it the way that the big church down the road does it, or we can't have revival unless we do it according to what this particular preacher, who everybody follows around, says we can do it. We can have revival when McCormick's Creek Church and we're in revival, but we're going to be in a better revival. But we can have revival when McCormick's Creek Church starts saying to themselves, "I'm going to change my ways." Because you understand, I'm not worried about a church-wide revival. I'm not the least bit worried about a church-wide revival. And if you're worried about a church-wide revival, you're wrong. I'm worried about a revival right here. That's where the revival is. I'm worried about this revival. You see, if I get this taken care of, then a church-wide revival will be just fine because everybody else is going to be doing what they're supposed to be doing. That's the only way real true heaven-sent revival is ever going to happen. The absence of something taken for granted is not soon missed. All right? Only a calamity reveals that God's power has gone missing. I don't want us to have any more calamities. So this is why I'm preaching what I'm preaching. But only a calamity can cause us to realize only when the eyes are knocked out. Can we realize that there's something wrong and something missing? And I can prove what I'm saying. I want you to recall when Jesus sent out the 70, he gave them power to cast out devils. That's what he told them. Later, you find that some of these disciples were no longer able to cast out a devil from a man's demon-possessed son's Son, rather. The disciples was mystified. What had happened to their power? He sent them forth. He said, go cast out devils. Now they come and it's just a chapter or two later and they come back and they say, well, you know, they can't cast the devil out of this demon-possessed boy. The cutting edge of spiritual effectiveness can be dulled. And we don't realize it. Spiritual deterioration sets in. Erosion carves ruts of routines into the soul's landscape. Drought enters into our lives. How do we know when it is time for revival? It's revival time when complacency is the status quo. It is revival time when we just come to church and make a job out of it and really don't want to come anymore. Oh, you can say amen whether you like it or not. It's time for all of us to wake up. It's time for all of us to realize, yeah, we're having some good times. We baptized two people on Wednesday. Isn't that great? I'm going to sit back and relax a little bit. That's exactly how we feel. I've done it myself. I've done it myself. I've sat back and relaxed because everything was going good. And my prayer was only for me and mine. And there's nothing wrong with praying for yours and your, your, your all's. Your, yeah. But there comes a time also, folks, when you've got to realize there's a whole country out there. There's six billion, well, it's more than that. There's a whole world out there, six billion plus of them, that are out there that need the very thing that we've got. And when we begin to hold it in and are just happy with a couple on Wednesday ever so often... Drought enters into our life. We are tempted to be at ease in Zion. When, you, when you're that way, it's revival time. When our love for God grows cold, it's revival time. When there's a lack of concern for others, it's revival time. When a secret sins are being hidden, it's revival time. Ooh, nah. Ah, hear that. Ooh, I like that. Did you, mm, secret sins. David said, God save me from my secret sins. How many in here got secret sins? don't raise your hand all <laughs> oh, those little secret sins those things you do and you know you know you're doing wrong it's not secret from God and you know it because as soon as you do it you get down in your face oh God when are you going to help me out of this you ever done that and had God answer you and he says I did when you got the Holy Ghost He said, well, what are you saying, God? I've had the Holy Ghost for 50 years, and I'm still doing the same thing. I gave you the power. It works inside of you. Every time you get down on your face and you begin to repent, it's because that power is working inside of you. Now what you have to do is use this before you do that secret sin. That's when you fall down on your face right when you really want to do that secret thing. Oh... That's the best preaching you're going to hear for a long time. When an unforgiving spirit reigns in our heart, it's revival time. When pride will not bow its head, it's revival time. Admit it, confess it, declare it Like Sardis we are alive in name only Like Laodicea we are paralyzed by self-sufficiency And like Ephesus we have left our first love We need a revival that resurrects We need a revival that unleashes We need a revival that calls us back We need a revival of convictions If there's anything that we need Two things, let me put it Get rid of the secret sins and get a conviction again Come on, folks, I'm going to be real honest with you. You remember those things you used to be convicted about? Come on, do you remember those things? And all of a sudden now, it doesn't matter. I hope if I ever get anything that if my ministry boils down to this particular thing I'm saying right now, I, and God would take me home, it would be good. I want us to get a revival of convictions. I want us to find that place that we used to have when we first got the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I want us to also know that the things that used to be wrong are still wrong. They haven't changed. God hasn't changed His mind. God hasn't changed his mind. I still need to be at church every time I can be at church. Why? Because I need the help of God to get me through this. I need somebody to pray for me. I need someone to love me. I need someone that can help me through these hard times. I need the church. I need the people of God. And I need convictions. We need the hunger and the thirst after God. We need the power of the former days called back. You hearing me? You remember the former days, remember the former days, brother? Remember that? I know we're gotten older, but we're not dead yet. We're not dead, are we? no you're going to turn sixty. It's a couple of weeks. a lot older than I am, <laughs> but we still got it going. We're still got it going. We're still going to see revival. We're still going to see people saved. We're gonna see situations turn around. We're gonna see situations turn oh come on. Are you <laughs> we need we need a hunger and a thirst for God and we store, oh Lord, the days of dedication when we serve God gladly. And they that gladly receive the word, the book of Acts says, they didn't say sadly, something happens to us between the gladly and the rapture. We gladly receive that something happens and we get sad about it. We begin to look around again. That worthless idea, eyeballing everything around, does Samson get my eyes knocked out so I can't see? Come on, hear me. And all of a sudden, I've just got to go to church. I've got to live this way. I've got to dress this way. I've got to look this way. I've got to act this way. I've got to talk this way, and I don't want to. And if you were glad with all of that, you wouldn't have any problem at all. God, grant everybody's having a problem with this a dream about what they used to be. Or even better yet, show them what they could be. Restore our God the days of faith when we believe God for miracles. We don't have any problem with that too much here. But don't ever lose it. Don't ever lose it. Restore, sweet Jesus, the days when Adonai means more than amusements, when deity means more than diversions, where the Savior means more than sports. <sighs> Create within us O lover of man's souls the desire to please you more than the mirror. We desire the childlike faith to look unto you rather than looking for acceptance in the world. God, you can make our faces shine without worldly cosmetics and jewelry. We can sparkle like a noonday sun. Please, God, send us that kind of revival. Send us that kind of revival. We need a revival of joy c.s lewis said joy is a serious business of heaven the joy of the lord is our strength too many christians are bound by depression and discouragement i bind both of those depression and discouragement in jesus name I'm not preaching about the way things used to be to tell you that's lost forever. I'm telling you that we can gain it and gain it more so than we've ever had it before. This is not something that's behind us for good, this is something greater that's ahead of us. We can have a revival that goes deeper than it's ever gone before. Too many people, too many people feel defeated and they feel backslidden. I'm gonna open this altar after a while, and if you've got those feelings, I want you, I don't want you to kneel down, I want you to come up here and say, not now. But I want you to come up here and stand, because we're gonna get rid of some of that backslidden feeling. You can overcome these secret sins. Some of the things I'm digging out right now, God is gonna help you to overcome tonight, not tomorrow, not next week, but tonight, God's gonna to help you to overcome these. You know, we need a refreshing from the Lord. We need a heaven-sent revival. That's what we need. God, I need revival, and I need it right now. Right now, I need revival. I can't wait until someone else gets ready for revival. I can't wait until the season is right. I can't wait till the right preacher comes. I can't wait until all the conditions of my life are in alignment. I need it now, because the drought has come. I need the reign of God. I need the glorious reign of revival. Man can't produce the kind of revival that I am talking about tonight. I cannot, nor can any man, preach this thing up or down, whatever you want to say. A choir can't sing it down. Oh, you know, it comes from heaven. God has to send it down. And you only one way that God sends this down, and that again goes back to the beginning. It's when people in, in unity fall down on their face and begin to ask God for this kind of revival personally. I'm not asking, and I'm going to go back. Don't you, I don't want you to pray. God send the church a revival. Don't you pray that. God send me a revival. Send me a revival. Send me a revival. I don't worry about church. Church is fine. Church is going to get the rain when you get the rain. Evangelist Billy Sunday was once asked by a woman attending his meetings. This is good. Now, I want you to get this. She says, why do you keep calling for revivals when revivals don't last? And you know, I've felt that way a few times. I have, in my history, I felt, you know, we have all this big deal we go through. Of course, Cisco's not going to be with us this year. But all this deal we go through for the Cisco's, have Cisco's, and you, know, and you do all this. not I love heaven. You know, it's great. Church enjoys it. But it doesn't last. So everybody is all pumped up until next August. And we well, all pumped up. They, you know, they start anticipating about six months. You know, they go downhill, and for six months they start anticipating. And, you know, like I can't do anything until August. All right, so this woman asked Billy Sunday, Why do you keep calling for revivals when they don't last? He answered her with this question Why do you keep taking baths? Our world needs a good bath, we need the rain to settle the dusty soil of carnality and fear. We need a heaven-sent shower to soothe our minds, calm our doubts, wash away the grit and the grime of worry and stress. Lord God of heaven and earth, we need a revival. We need a revival. Stand to your feet and let God know, I need a revival. (laughs) <laughs> you may be seated. I'm going I, to discuss some things with you, and I'm going to go back. I'm going to say this again. It's the third time I've said this. You ought to get it But now. I'm not worried about a church-wide revival, so don't you be either. Be more concerned about your revival. What, what will it take for you to experience a renewing in God and be transformed? How do your dust clouds become rain clouds? That's what we're going to do. I'm just getting ready to preach. All right, And Hosea shows us the way. I'm going to find it this way. In Hosea's day, God's people were backslidden. God compared them to a bride who had turned her back on his steadfast love and prostituted herself before the things of this world. To drive this analogy home, God told Hosea to find and marry a prostitute. He married her, loved her, provided for her, but she ran away to the things and people she thought brought her happiness. Hosea's response, like God, Hosea went looking for his wayward wife to redeem her, restore her, and revive her. God is in the reviving business. Are you there? He's in the reviving business. He's in the restoring occupation. He runs a salvage yard. That's what God runs. A salvage yard. The world's trash is heaven's treasure. God revive us. Hosea shows us how God leads people into revival. He shows us how dust clouds are overshadowed with rain clouds. He reveals how droughts become a deluge. In Hosea 6 and 1, he says, come and let us return unto the Lord. I want you to get that. Come, let us return unto the Lord. God invites us back to himself, the source of life. He says, come. You don't have to live the life you're living. You don't have to be plagued with the sorrow and the headache and the heartache. Come back to God. That's what he's saying. Hosea spoke in the plural. He said, let us. Let us. You're not alone. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Regardless of how desperate it seems No matter how long you've been gone You can get back on track Others have and so can you Don't you sit out there and say I can never do this Don't you sit out there and say Things are just too bad Things are not People are just against me Uh, The wrong things are being said My feelings are hurt I don't care who you are How bad things may seem God can put you back on track And whatever's bothering you He can push that demon right out of the way And you can find your way back To living for God with all all your might, you can have uh, come on, you can have victory, you can be more than a conqueror through him who has saved and loved you I would say I said return in other words it means that at one point in time we were where we needed to be but we're no longer there, we turned away that blessed word, return, is used more than 1,000 times in the Old Testament alone. In terms of describing what God desires for each of us, this word is more, used more frequently than almost any other expression. Return is a word picture for repentance. Hosea uses the word 23 times. His usage of return demonstrates not only God's desire for man, but man's reason for not returning. let's look at that in Hosea 5 and 4. This is the NIV version. It says their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. A spirit of prostitution is in their heart and they do not acknowledge the Lord. God is not the problem here. He never is. It takes two to tangle, but man's departure from God resides solely upon his shoulders, not God's. Man's current behavior, his deeds prohibit him from following after God. It's what man does that prohibits him. How does that work? It doesn't work on God's side. It works only on man's side. It's called a, a conscience that is, that is hurt, that is, doesn't feel right, and I'm not worthy. All of these things. It comes right down to this, and I don't care who you are, and I don't care how long you've served God. There comes one or two or three or maybe 50 times in your life when you just simply have to say, I know I've done wrong, and I've got to get through this. I can't afford to go to hell. And I keep pushing, and I keep praying until I overcome And I don't care how dead I may feel when I'm down on my face and it feels like the heavens are brass, nothing's going out, nothing's coming back, I'm going to continue to pray anyway. I have been there, I've prayed that prayer, I have gone for weeks when I didn't feel like I touched God, then all of a sudden on the third week, things just begin to break. And I begin to realize God did forgive me the first time. Don't you sit back there and think that you can't. God says you can. The preacher up here in front of you says you can. Now all you have to do is do it. That's all you have to do. God's never the problem. Hosea 7 verse 10, it says, And the pride of Israel testifieth to his face that they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all this. Ask yourself this, is my pride the problem? And that is not an easy question to ask ourselves. And it proves harder to answer in the affirmative. It is difficult to admit that our proud hearts are parched and dry. It is an arduous task to swallow one's pride and return to God. You ever got your pride about right here? And you're walking around and you've got a big lump of pride right here. And you're turning blue because you can't breathe, can't eat. Pride's killing you. You don't believe that? Believe me, that spiritual man is choking to death when you got pride stuck right here. I mean, he's choking to see someone back there just coughed. You heard that. They coughed that up. I don't know who you was. I hope it's all right. Who did I just accuse of that? That's all right, sweetheart. You just helped me out there. It's okay. And that's exactly what you need. You need to cough that nasty stuff up and get it out. Don't get it out on my floor. Take it outside. Hallelujah. You got its a—it's a task to swallow one's pride and return to God. <laughs> Hosea eleven verse five said, "The Assyrian shall be his king because they refuse to return." Now listen to that—the Assyrian's going to be the king because they refuse to return. God's people go into bondage because they refuse to return to Him. Can it be that our cyclical failures and our habitual addictions—got that? Write that down. Cyclical failures and addictions. Are you there? Oh, cyclical failures is a good one. You ever done that? You have to break that stinking spirit. That's when you go for about five or six weeks serving God, and you go right back to the same mess for about a week or two days, and then you go through and you pray through, and you go another five weeks and you're okay, then you get into that week. That's a cyclical failure. That's when you gotta know when this thing's gonna come on you, and you gotta find yourself at the church, and if you can't get in the church, you go find a back room, a closet, or somewhere, and you get down and say, I'm gonna pray till that thing stops, and I don't have that cyclical failure any longer. And when that addiction starts tearing and tearing at you, you say, no, I'm not gonna take that pill, I'm not gonna lie, I'm not gonna cheat, I'm not gonna steal, I refuse. Thankfully, God does not leave us in that predicament. He promises something here in Hosea 14:4 4 through7, "I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. They that dwell under His shadow shall return. They shall revive as the corn and grow as the vine. The scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon." You don't believe it? That rain we had the other day. How many of you guys had your oh, old dead, dried-up grass out there? I did. And, you know, I I was griping because we didn't have a rain, but I was also thankful because I hate to mow. And I stuck my head out after the rain, and guess what? All that brown had turned green. And now I had to put my mower back on. All that browns to Listen to me. When I don't care how dead you may be, how dried up you are, when you start feeling what we feel are feeling right here, something begins to happen. You start to green it up, if you would. Come on now. You start greening up. Life comes back into you, and you realize I can do it. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. I can overcome. I can be at the head and not the tail. I can be that way. New life comes when we return to God. Accept that invitation. God longs to restore. He wants to restore. He wants to revive. Do you think He gets tired? You know, I might get tired of you. You know, and you come dragging down here to the altar the 79th time. That wasn't an embellishment there. You know, you come dragging down here, and I go, Oh, here Bob is again. Down here at the altar wonder what he's done bad now. Now, he doesn't do anything bad reason I'm using him, okay? So I, he doesn't. And, you know, there he is down here again. You know, I might, but God, he longs for him. to. He doesn't look down at him and say, oh, there he is again. He's glad. He said, oh, there he is again. I'm so glad he turned around. I'm so glad he's down here. I want to do something great for him this time. I want to show him just how big I really am. I want to show him I can deliver him like I've delivered millions and millions before. Now, I'm going to give you a hard one. Hosea 6 and 1. Come and let us return unto the Lord. Listen to this. For he hath torn, and he will heal us. He hath smitten, and he will bind us up. He has torn us, and he has smitten us. It's part we don't you know, used to. They preach that a lot in Pentecost. We don't like to talk about that stuff anymore. Now listen to this. Torn and smitten. Not easy words to even read, difficult to live. Now this section is sort of like the like the diner where the manager called the wait staff together for a meeting before lunch and said, Let's be very nice to all of our customers today. Smile as much as you can. And one of the waitresses asked, Why? Is there someone really important eating here today? And the manager shook his head and said, No, the meat's tough. <laughs> tough meat is coming. Everybody needs to smile. Are you. You know, it's hard for me because I know exactly when I preach like this and when we're going the direction that we've been going, I know tough meat is coming. Because God never ever Gives us all those things Unless there's some tough times ahead Now granted the devil does it But also remember that he's on a long leash That's right. yeah. So whatever he does to you All you have to do is get old to God And he'll jerk him back That's right. Amen. Yeah. 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 Tough meat is coming Step two we need to embrace the need for, and this leads me to it, for crisis. Now, I did not say Christ, I said crisis. Some of us believe that our walk with God is one of onward, steady progress, sort of like rising slowly from sea level into the heights. We like to think that there are no pitfalls, no dizzying gorges, no blind canyons. They're simply This is simply not the case. It's just not the case. In Scripture, the promised land was a picture of the victorious walk. The Lord said, the land I send you to is one of hills and valleys, Deuteronomy 8 and 7. We get across there, there's still going to be hills and there's going to be valleys. There's going to be tremendous highs, there's going to be tremendous lows. And in those moments of transition between the two, in those times of crisis... God works. In Colossians 2.6, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. You've received Him. You've been taken on His name in water baptism. Then walk in Him. Walk in Him. How did we receive Jesus Christ? Most of us received Him in a crisis experience. Most of us, took, we, we, we were saved because we were in crisis. We did not just happen upon Him. His entrance into our life was like the dawn, and dawn comes. Now, I know you're going to agree with this, but I, I've seen this many times, not so much lately. But dawn comes ugly. Dawn itself is pretty. Not you, honey. No, you are pretty, but you know. Smacker, would you? <laughs> but before dawn comes, now I'll get it right. Before dawn comes, there's a mist. There's a grayness to the land. Mist. It's nasty looking right before the sun comes up. It always is. And that's exactly when we really arrive, we're going to have an ugly time. Now, I'm talking individually. I'm not talking about church. I'm talking individual. Some of you are going to come down here and saying You've already done it. Oh, things have been really rough. You know, pray for me. I need a little help. I don't care to pray for you for help, but don't tell me to pray out of it. Get through it. Get through it. Get through it. Get to the end of this thing. Let's do it once and for all. What do you say? Let's do it once and for all. You know, and, and there we go on. Nature is not its finest right before dawn. Tendrils of mist shroud the earth. Gloom blankets the planet. Only when the sun rises in its strength are the clouds dissipated. God took us from hurt to healing from crisis to faith he allowed us to be torn that he may heal us he allows us to be torn so he may heal us now the word torn in the hebrew is a seizing of prey in a predator's teeth our wandering from god led us into the teeth of opposition we have been taken shaken shredded and torn the the hebrew here is adamant saying he is the one It is God who has done this. God allowed us to be torn. God allowed this to happen. The one who allowed us to be hurt desires our healing. And when we feel torn asunder, God has not abandoned us. Our pain is a precursor to His approach. He's moving to heal. I guarantee you that, that Kay, and I'm using her a lot, and I hope she gets to hear this, but I, I guarantee you that when she called me the time before she went into the, to this nursing home and she said, I can't walk, I can't get out of bed, that she was being torn at that time. We have prayed together. I, I've talked to her many times. Many of you have too. And, and you know, I told her this uh several different times God must have a lot of confidence in you because you're in this condition and you're still doing what you're doing. You're not in you know, there may be times when she gets down but she's still faithful to God as much as she possibly can be. She gives us an example of what it's like. Now, I told her this, she may be torn now but something greater is going to come out of all this because God wants to heal right at the very end of the torn situation. Earlier in Hosea, God said that he would be like a lion to his people. In obedience, God will, as a lion, defend us. In disobedience, God will, as a lion, oppose us. God tore Israel away from her homeland and carried her to a place where none else could rescue. Only when God's people acknowledged their need of him would the Lion of Judah rise up in her defense. Interesting, isn't it? That lion will tear you as long as you're disobedient. But when you start crying out to him that same line turns around and delivers you god only tears that he might heal that's all we too often want the healing without the tearing are you going to say that again we want the healing without the tearing Job five seventeen. Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth, therefore despise not the chastening of the Almighty, for he maketh sore and he bindeth up, he woundeth and his hands make whole. In the crisis, God works to cause us to get sick of the desert of disobedience. That's what this is all about. Sometimes things you go through, again, you pray yourself into him, but he gets so sick of you being disobedient and not listening, that he puts you into the desert of disobedience. And then eventually you'd start crying out to him, I'm tired of being in this place. I'm tired of this dried up mess. I don't want to be here. I didn't sign on to serve God in this kind of mess. No, you didn't. And God didn't want you to. It's not him that put you in that. You put you in that. It always gets me when people start saying, Why did God do this? You know. And I, I'm sorry, and I don't need to be crude with this, but I, some of the hardest times I have with people, and you do a funeral for someone, and, and they're, they're there looking like, you know, I don't know what. And they're saying, why did God take, his, take her away? You know, somebody that's 80-plus years old, forgive me, if God takes them away, that they've had a long life, according to the Scripture. And if I get 80, and I'm walking around hurting all the time, and you pray me to life, I'll smack the fire out of you. I will. You see that? By the way, so you people know, my wife hit me with an, an axe there just to settle me down. I'm running a good axe. <laughs> you know. You know. I'm not told too many people what happened here because it's embarrassing. I opened my car door and smacked myself in the head. I can't how how dumb can that be? You know, I'm leaning, I'm leaning over against the car, trying to get my wits back. I mean, that smacked me hard, right? <laughs> oh Jesus, crisis is what we need to get us out of that desert of disobedience. And that just goes well. Then it? the physician breaks bones to set them properly. Huh? Great physician allows crisis to come into our life to heal us. There is a purpose in the pain. Christ is always in the crisis. He's always in the crisis. This pain is only for a specific amount of time. God promised after two days, he said, he will revive us. And that revival will come as the rain. In Hosea 6 and 3, and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and the former rain unto the earth. Now, step three for revival anticipate a personal revival anticipate a personal revival look for it look for it personal personal this I think is absolutely essential a revived heart is a result of anticipation of a personal revival in 1839 James Espy claimed that rain could be produced by heating the air his plan to bring rain to that parched farmland involved building a huge log fires across the American West it didn't work. Okay? Later, another theory was tested in Texas. Robert Dyeron, fourth, believed that loud noises would bring rain. So he blasted cannons at the skies, but no rain came. Heat and noise won't bring the rain we need. Hmm. Sneak up on this one. You ready? You know how I am about worship. I love it. Can't run like I used to, but I love to see other people do it if I can't. I did, but let me give you one thing here. Running, dancing, shouting, getting red faced is a result of personal revival. It does not bring personal revival. Red faces and fervor won't bring it. Revival isn't shouting, revival is weeping. Revival is weeping. Revival is weeping. Shouting is a result of weeping. Your shout only goes that high if you haven't weeped. Whoa, am I preaching good now? Revival isn't crowds. Circuses draw crowds. Used to. Revival is an individual or group of individuals reaching out for God. That is real revival. Revival begins not in the atmosphere, but in the heart. I have seen it in here many times. When we have had some good prayer meetings, when we have a worship service, the whole atmosphere is different. You can do the same thing you do otherwise, but the atmosphere is different. And there's always results. Always. Thank you. And a lot of this you don't need, but I'm just telling you in case you ever get there. Don't get don't I don't want no shallow worship. I want some worship that is real. I want some praise that goes out of here and goes all the way to heaven. I want somebody that's doing it not because they want to be seen, but because they want God to see them. (laughs) Thirsty hearts for God will always find Him. I'm weary of hearing that this world needs revival. Now you just follow me. Our our nation needs revival. I'm tired of all of it. I'm tired of hearing it. I'm tired of hearing it preached. I, I really am. Or this church needs revival. Or our homes need revival. And it's all true. I'm not taking away from that, but I'm tired of hearing it. I can't bring revival to any of these. I can only bring God's rain cloud over my personal dust cloud. When you begin to get rid of your old dusty nature, then we'll have all the rest of it. Your home will have revival. The church will have revival. The nation will have revival. The world will have revival. When we take care, a lot of this, a lot of this, my friend, is based on this sacrifice. This sacrifice is more than just raising money. He said it. This is you learning something vital for your relationship in your relationship with God. God will come as a rain to each heart that seeks Him. In Palestine, there are two periods of rain called the former and the latter rain in Scripture. The former rain is associated with the planting of the crops in the spring, and the latter rain is associated with the harvesting of the crops in the fall. Harvest is coming, and we need the latter rain. We are in the season of the latter rain. God will come in abundance and he will water our lives. Elijah told his servant to continue looking for the cloud. His anticipating of the rainfall provoked a response. I have to look for it, anticipate it. I'm looking for some change in me. I'm looking for some difference. I'm looking for God to do something in my life and I've got to live the kind of life that I need to live in order for this anticipated thing to come for me. Don't look for it for the, don't you look for it for the church. You look for it for you. need to start putting that on the sign. This week, Revival for Davis, Sebastian, and Kraus. Next week, we'll have Revival put other names on there. We'll get through the whole crowd. This week, Revival for them. But I bet you we have someone have to stop and ask what we're talking about, wouldn't it? Maybe they come in and check it out. This week, <laughs> this week, this month, Revival for Robertson. Hallelujah. <laughs> Uh, provoke your rainfall folks provoke it when your victory is incomplete when unbelievers are asking where your God is when a satanic audience clamors for your downfall when you seek to break a family pattern of destruction when debt is mounting and income is low provoke provoke your rainfall Bible actually tells us to provoke we need to provoke it how do you provoke how does your kids provoke you do God the same way Provoke it. Push it along. You had anybody ever can push your buttons? Push God's buttons. You know how you push His buttons? By doing what's right. I just preached it to you. You need to listen to this again and again and again and again until you get this figured out. You need to. When the Lazarus of your destiny is enshrouded and buried, when the road you travel becomes rougher, when you become an expert at finishing what you should not have started, hear me? When you try to smile but your face will not cooperate, when your nose is bleeding and your eyes are blackened and life's boxing ring, provoke your rainfall. Provoke it. Revival is reaching out for a heavenly invasion. Revival is a thirsting. I want the music to come. No singers, just music. Revival is reaching out for the heavenly invasion. Revival is thirsting after God. Anticipate it. Provoke it through your anticipation. Believe it. Confess it. Claim it. Dig ditches in your valleys and prepare for the rain. Dig ditches in your valleys and prepare for the rain. Stand with me. I said it earlier. If you're serious, if you and and this is all the altar call I'm giving right now. I'm going to finish this up. But all the altar call is what I'm doing right now. And that is, if you have got anything, if I've touched you in any way here that you know you need to make some changes, do some things, that you need to provoke some things in your life, that you want revival in you, you're tired of being depressed, you're tired of constantly worrying about the same thing, your secret sins is getting you down. Don't come down here and bow. Just come down here and stand. And that's all I'm giving you. Now I'm finishing up. After Black Sunday... A news reporter said that the three words were on the lips of every farmer in the Great Plains. If it rains. If it rains. For people of faith, the words should be, when it rains. Are you there? When it rains. When it rains. When the rain comes, rather, my family will be okay. When the rain comes, my job will work out. When the rain comes, I will be productive for God. When the rain comes, my prayer is going to be answered. I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Come on now. And we need God to allow this rain to fall upon us in a great way. Anybody else that needs this? Now, I need some people that's got some faith. You know what I've talked about. You've went through it. You've anticipated. And God has given you an abundance of rain. I want you to come down and find somebody. And I want you to get behind them and I want you to pray for them. That's how we're going to do this. That's how we're going to do this. And I want some people to get the victory tonight. I want them to know that God is going to help them. Come on, folks. It's okay. If you know what I'm talking about, Ministers, you can go down as well and pray for some of these. Please do. Find someone to pray for. And let's help them to find the answers that they need. If you're here and you have not received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues, this altar is open for you as well. You can stand right down here. We can lay hands on you and God can fill you. There's no doubt in my mind that He will. Come down and pray for them. Find somebody. Find somebody. Aren't you tired of living in depression and anxiety and worrying about things that are not even <laughs> are not happening? As the sound of an abundance of rain. And let's believe it. I'm going to get down and pray with some of these. Lord bless you. If you must go, you're dismissed in Jesus' name.